This is season three, episode three of the Going to Be on the Food Pro series. And today we're going to talk about health and nutrition in a context of the non-diet approach. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Going Beyond the Food Show Pro Edition. I'm Stephanie Dodier, clinical nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counselor, creator of the Going to Beyond the Food Method, a global coaching and online training approach focused on helping women make peace with food and their bodies so they can live a fulfilling life right now. This special podcast series is designed for the health pro wanting to integrate the non-diet approach in their practice. So if you're a nutritionist, a health coach, a dietitian, a doctor, a therapist, or a fitness pro, this special podcast series is specially designed for you. Ready, sister? Let's do this. Welcome back, my dear colleague. Already halfway through episode three and season three, And I have to say thank you for all the amazing feedback of the first two episodes. You guys love the first episode about coaching in a non-diet format. So many ha-ha moments for you. And then last week, the non-diet marketing framework, bang, a lot of mind-blown icon was sent to me, especially on IG and my DM. So if you're marketing or want to market the non-diet approach in the future, I think you have to listen to this episode. It helped a lot of people. Now today, we're going to answer two major questions that I get when I teach health professionals about the non-diet approach. Usually this question comes right on the tail end of the first time someone being introduced to the non-diet approach. And I see that in my client, my consumer business as well. These are always the first two objections that I hear about. Which, by the way, if you're a health professional, or anyone for that matter, if you want to know how to teach nutrition without co-opting diet culture, in a couple of days, Thursday, May 6th, I'll be hosting a webinar on this topic. There will be a link in the show note where you can register for it. You need to have an email so I can send you the URL. Or you can go to my website, stephaniedoze.com slash professional, and then the resource center. And I'll be teaching also about these two questions we're going to tackle today. So what are those questions that almost all health professionals have when they first encounter the non-diet approach? Number one, but what about health? And number two, But what about nutrition? Now, these two questions are very revealing to how entrenched diet and wellness culture, and along with also weight stigma or fat phobia, has been pervasive in our education as health professionals. Now, very important to note that as we health professional got trained or educated, we were blind to this. Because one, we were raised as a person in diet culture with fat phobia, and we came to our graduate school with that baggage, and then we stepped into an educational environment that is fat phobic, that is entrenched in wellness culture and diet culture. So we think it's normal, Until 
someone like me comes along and disrupt what you believe to be normal, then all these belief system in you get triggered. And that's where those questions are coming from. So when you are faced with an approach to health that doesn't promote thinness, BMI, diet culture, weight loss, dieting, food restriction, we assume that it's not healthy, right? Because that's what we were thought. So it's normal that those questions are coming up. As an educator, I kind of feel these questions as rewarding because it means that I triggered something in you. I need you to stay with me as I teach you concept today that will help you answer these two questions. So the first part of me answering this question about health and nutrition, I first need to step back and kind of go through some facts about different notions that we were taught that you need to see a different perspective. Okay, I'm not saying one is right, one is wrong. I'm going to present you facts and different perspective. First place I want to start is what is health, right? I'm going to go to a definition of health that is mostly agreed upon throughout all the different profession around health, and that is the World Health Organization definition of health. So the World Health Organization defines health as a state of complete Physical, mental, and social well-being, not merely the absence of disease. The non-diet approach recognize that humans are more than simply a physical body, than a layer of tissue and fat. The non-diet approach is grounded into acknowledging that as human, we are, yes, a physical body, a mental body, an emotional body, and a spiritual body, right? Therefore, our approach to health should address all aspects of being a human. Not merely just the physical body and the layer of fat on our body. Health, being healthy is a state that allow an individual to adequately cope with all demands of our daily life. It's a state of adaptation. Health changes all the time to adapt to our environment. How does the body do that is with fact number two, is acknowledging that the human body is always, 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 always seeking health. It's kind of the innate number one goal of our body is to adapt to the environment in order for you to thrive and to survive as long as possible. Human body, our human body is focused on survival, which comes through in part with being healthy. Human body is consistently working to keep you and your clients and your patient as healthy as it can based upon the limitation 
either in the body or outside of the body. And the human body has the power to heal itself. We have an innate wisdom, all of us human, within our body, and that wisdom cannot be measured, touch, cannot be controlled. That wisdom is what works really hard to keep us healthy as much as possible given the circumstance we're exposed to. That same wisdom is what we rely upon to feed ourselves, quote, naturally. That's the intuitive eating, eating cues, hunger, fullness, and satisfaction. That's the innate wisdom of the human body. That same wisdom is also what manages our body weight. Even though as modern human brain have tried really, really hard to control the metabolism of the human body over the last 80 years via dieting, pills, and all kinds of things, it has never worked, right? I mean, we're not going to get into the whole studies around why diet don't work on this podcast, but diet don't work, right? A whole other podcast on this. But we've tried and it doesn't work because the innate wisdom uses body weight as a function of keeping you alive in an environment, Fact number three, health can never be, quote, achieve once and for all. (laughs) That is just a selling thing from wellness culture, right? If you take this pill, you'll be healthy. Bullshit. (laughs) That's not how it works. Health is a state of adaptation that allows you to ebb and flow. Health will vary at different stage of life, different event, different bacteria you encounter. Health is a continuum that requires you supporting your innate body wisdom as it adapts and strives for your survival. Now, key word here, not controlling, supporting. That is one of the tripping point of the non-diet approach versus a diet model, weight loss model approach to health. The diet weight loss model will try to control the body and push the body. Where for us, we support the innate wisdom that the body has to keep us healthy, which brings me to fact number four. You can't white knuckle the human body into health. You can't. Although the wellness industry wants you to think you can. One of the great examples of that is, quote, biohacking. That is the epitome of patriarchy, masculine toxicity, trying to push the body to do something with tricks and all kinds of stuff. If it would work to white-knuckle the human body... (laughs) push the human body into health, we would have it figure it out by now and everybody would follow the same formula. Fact number five, we need to acknowledge. Diet and exercise is only 15% of what contributes to human health. What? I bet you, just like me, you were never exposed in your professional training to the social determinant of health. Were you? I want two years of health science, 
one year of nutrition education, never exposed to this concept until I came to the non-diet world. So in the show note, I have link to Goivo. It's an organization that has created amazing visual content to explain and depict what social determinants of health are. Okay, they've created this amazing resource based on the research around what determines health based on the World Health Organization and the Kaiser Family Foundation. So they didn't pull them out of their off. It's actually what the world recognizes as the social determinant of health. But most of us has never been taught that. So we think that food and exercise is what determines health, but it's not. So let's quickly look at what are the social determinants of health. I'm going to go through them very rapidly. Highly recommend you follow the link in the show notes and go check them out for yourself and read in depth. But let's start with environment. Environment determines 7% of the contribution to your health is determined by the environment. By that, we think air quality, exposure to carcinogen, home hair quality, um, that kind of stuff. 7% of your health is determined by your environment. 11% of your health is determined by medical care. This means having access to healthcare, just the baseline, to having access to affordable healthcare, is another very important. This is when we get into not everybody has access to health. Some people don't have access to any healthcare. Some others have, but with limited resources, right? We have to recognize that having access to affordable care is a privilege. I'll get to that in just a minute. More, more about privilege just in a minute. of our health is determined by our genetic, pretty obvious, and our biology, right? So when you have a gene to a certain health condition, that doesn't mean you're going to have it, but you are at a much higher risk of certain disease than others. 24% of your health is determined by your social circumstance. Now, social circumstance includes but not limited to race, ethnicity, citizenship, income, education level, gender identity, sexual orientation. That is a major, that's 24% of your health. It's something that's out of your control. The last bucket is individual behavior. 36% of your health outcome is determined by your individual behavior. Now, before you jump the gun and say, well, this is where people are responsible for their health, hold on. Here's what makes up individual behavior. Mental health, mood, sleep, right? Not everybody can sleep eight hours a night. When you work 80 hours a week because you are on low income, Maybe you can only sleep four hours a night. You really got to stretch your mind here. Mental health, mood, sleep, drug use, diet pattern, movement, gun control, 
motor vehicle, safety belt. So when we take all these things out and we look at just food and exercise, 15%. That's it. Yet, most of us have been taught in our education only about food and diet. If we could only do food and diet, everything would be fine and we would be healthy. Now, the consequence of that line of thinking, that elitist principle that doesn't recognize how privileged we have to be to be fully in control in our health, and even at that, many things are out of our control, leads people into obsession with health. This is what we're seeing more and more and more because people don't fully understand what health is made of. And they just watch social media and read the magazine and all the hacking and all the supplements and how bad certain food is. And people are led to believe that they are fully responsible for their health. And then they become obsessed with health. And that's what we call healthism. The simplest way to describe healthism, it's the dark side of healthy living. It's that space where people believe that they are in full control of their health, and most of the time their weight, and if they work, quote, hard enough, they'll be thin and they'll be healthy. Now, remember, healthism, hism, is a way of looking at a word in the same way that racism is. So when a word ends with ism, it means a system put in place by the people in power around a certain set of ideas. In this case, it's the healthism is a system put in place by those in power around health ideas. Healthism is like racism, sizeism, and feminism, okay? Over the last 15 years, we've seen an explosion. And I say 15 years. I don't have the number anywhere. This is my own observation, but maybe it's even 30 years. We've seen an explosion of wellness culture, of fit inspiration, and Gwyneth Paltrow pushing to people their responsibility towards health and then buy my product, right? By my technique. Healthism is also, you can reflect on this. How many times have you heard or say the word? I'm so bad. I'm not taking care of myself enough. I'm so bad. I don't eat healthy food. I'm so bad. I should be meditating twice a day, right? This I'm so bad filling the blank with the health promoting behavior is healthism. Wellness culture and healthism, the two together, are centered around the concept of personal responsibility around health for a person. And this is something that the word healthism actually was coined by Robert Crawford in 1980, where he defines what he was starting to observe in the 1980s as a preoccupation with personal health as the primary focus for the definition 
an achievement of well-being. How much mental space, how much of your resources were placed around you being or working towards your health, right? And the attainment of these goals were linked to moral value or moral virtue. So for those who are not familiar with an example, with the definition of diet culture, right? Diet culture is a set of belief that associate weight and moral value or moral virtue, while healthism and wellness culture associate health status with moral value or moral virtue, meaning that if you're not healthy, it means that you're not good enough. You're not as valuable as other people who are healthier. Why? Because you're supposed to be in control of your health. Even though we just spent 15 minutes looking as to the reason why, you cannot be in full control of your health in the same way you can be in full control of your weight. Here's a, a great kind of example of how healthism can play. Let's imagine you have two people who have been diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver, right? Someone with a background of alcoholism who has developed over time cirrhosis versus someone who has developed cirrhosis due to a genetic digestive disorder. Is one deserving of better treatment than the other? Is one more valuable than the other because of the quote cause of why they have cirrhosis, one being controllable in the eyes of people, right? People think alcoholism is controllable. But when you start studying addiction and pattern of addiction, you will quickly find that people are not in control of their addiction pattern. They're most often using alcohol, drugs, or other things in order to cope with trauma. Still, does that make one person more valuable than the others? Healthism would say yes, but isn't. Let's look at people who get diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Let's say you have three people diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. The first person is at a normal BMI, been their whole life at a normal BMI, never had to be on a diet, they work hard, they're a runner, they have a vegetarian diet. The other person is still a normal BMI, but eh, never really worked hard, never took care of being in movement, ate whatever was in front of them, but they got diabetes. And then you have a third person who is in the higher range of the BMI. They've been born in a lower income family, currently have a low income themselves. They live in a subsidized housing and they live in a food desert. So they have BMI that's higher and they have diabetes. The medical world, and most people would say, well, it's their fault. But there's a whole reason that is uncontrollable as to why they perhaps have a higher BMI. But healthism doesn't take in consideration that. It just says, you're not as valuable. That's how these people are being treated in most medical care, right? And... What happened? What happened when we treat people like this, when we 
as practitioners talk to people like this because that's how we process their situation because of our education and lack of awareness and social justice. And we end up having them in our office with this kind of thinking. There's an extreme side effect on their mental health and emotional health right? Guilt and shame is deeply experienced by those people, right? Even if they're not diagnosed with a health condition, right? Just because in most cases, they're in a larger body, they automatically are assumed to be, quote, not as disciplined, not as um, worth value, time and investment, and quickly pushed into weight loss and diets, And you have to remember that it fuels this healthism and this concept of complete self-responsibility of health fuels industries. I mean, got to look at the wellness industry in 2020 generated $639 billion growth doubled in the last 10 years. This is all supplements and shake and Gwyneth Paltrow and all that stuff, okay? The weight loss industry, constant growth as well, $192 billion. We have built a system, a line of thinking, right? People in power have built an entire system and a line of thinking. We go into our professional training as health professional, and we get indoctrinated into this way of thinking. And then we end up without knowing providing cares that fuel the system that leads the patient and client feeling shame and guilt. And in many cases, being completely obsessed and not living a full life outside of their health, because they're so consumed about trying to fix themselves and be healthy, because they feel so guilty and ashamed of it. So probably can feel my passion about that. I could talk to you about that for hours, but I'm gonna close it up because we're going to wrap up this podcast in a good time. But what do we do in a non diet approach when we look at health? right? I kind of talked to you at the top of the podcast on how we look at health more than a physical body, but we also look at health and a weight neutral approach or health at every size framework, right? Health at every size framework is a studied framework around health that doesn't look at body weight, but instead look at improving an individual capacity to adopt health-promoting behavior, right? So that's what we do in the context of the non-diet approach. We absolutely are health-centric, but not in a stigmatic, elitist, healthism kind of way, right? What are our clients or patients have access to that can improve their health. We go about health from the framework of self-care, supporting the innate wisdom of the body, looking at what's accessible to our client and patient to make choices that promote health that are non-related to weight. We look at working on what truly forms the behavior 
right? Not willpower, not discipline, but instead our thoughts and our feeling that do in time change the behavior permanently instead of willpower and self-discipline being short-term. That's the weight-neutral, health-at-every-size approach. We focus on everything else around health, but not around body weight and weight loss, which then will lead me into nutrition, right? Here's the thing about nutrition. I have a degree in nutrition. I said earlier, one in health science. And not one time in those three years of education have I been thought around hunger, fullness, and satisfaction, or otherwise known as eating cue. Not one time in three years of higher education. I went right into good food and bad food. I want you to think about nutrition if you're a person who teach nutrition or help others with nutrition as, you know, learning to ride a bike. I was taught to ride a bike and was sent right away to how shifting gear on a 21-speed bike. I was never taught about how to climb the bike, how to push the pedal, how to brake, how to stay like up on my bike. <laughs> None of that was taught to me. I went from knowing nothing nutrition to like going into the advanced notion of nutrition, never being taught the basics, right? The eating cues. That's what nutrition in the context of a non-diet approach is. It's like, can we just take a minute to go back to the basics? Like before we teach someone about macronutrients and ratios of macronutrients, can we teach them about hunger, fullness, satisfaction? And you know what? When we start having those discussions with our client and we evaluate their relationship to food, because there's such a thing as an evaluation of our relationship to food, that science-based evaluation, TILCA assessment, I was never given that and have a degree in nutrition, people. <laughs> I was never giving this assessment. That's what we start with. Like, let's forget about the complicated stuff. Let's start with the basic, hunger, fullness, satisfaction. What we find is that 90% of our client, mainly women or people identifying as women, have complete disconnection from hunger and fullness due to dieting. Then we need to look at how people perceive food. Most people perceive good food as good or bad. They avoid the bad. They restrict. They binge. We got to repair the basics. We got to repair this, this notion of good and bad food, eating cues. And then, and only then, can we start going into more complicated notion around food. That's what we call gentle nutrition. But the damage that we as health professional through our diet-based teaching around food have done to the average population for most of us when we get our client in requires months of work on reestablishing the basic around eating before we can go to gentle nutrition. Gentle nutrition is the nutritional approach in a non-diet way and it's very simple, right? making sure people have enough to eat. Most people that have been dieting don't eat enough. 
right? Have enough to eat. Balance. A balance of the three macronutrients. Bring variety in. And then the tipping point is individual food. And we never remove. We add. We we help people look at how they feel when they eat certain food and empower them. What a concept. Empower them to make choices that makes them feel good, help them have high energy, help them get through their day. And that's the big centric point difference between a non-diet approach and a diet-based approach to health is that we in a non-diet are not the expert. Our clients are the expert at their own body, or at least our journey with them will get them to this point. I like to say to people that I, my goal is to work myself out of a job. I want my client to have enough information to understand their body enough so they can manage their health. So let me wrap up this podcast here. So to answer the question, so what about health? Absolutely. The non-diet approach is health-centric, but in a weight-neutral, health-at-every-size framework. So what about nutrition? Yes. We love nutrition, and we adopt that intuitive eating framework, and we repair the damage first, turn back the power to our client and face the food, and then we can start talking about gentle nutrition. If this approach sounds interesting to you and you want to learn how to change your professional approach or your practice to the non-diet approach, we have a mentorship program for health professional. It's called the non-diet mentorship program. And it's a six months intensive program where we teach you professional skills and business skills to grow, change, adapt your practice in the non-diet approach. First, this is a lived experience, right? We need to dismantle our own biases, our own relationship to food, to body, to weight, and then adapt our practices to the non-diet approach. This mentorship runs twice a year, July and January. Uh, We have a wait list. We're talking about time right now. We're in April 2021. We always have a huge wait list. So we have 100 people right now on our wait list and we have 30 spots available. So if if you're in the timeline of 2021, you want in, you got to get yourself on the wait list. We open for the wait list application. We review application and select people starting on May 8, 2021. And if you're listening at a later date, just go on the wait list and you'll be able to apply as time come. I would love to work with you. We're working with all professional backgrounds from nutritionist to therapist, to social worker, to yoga teacher, to fitness. You come with your professional background. That's not what we teach. What we teach is to help you in your profession to adopt an on-diet approach, and then we teach you business principle to create a private practice because an on-diet approach is mostly practice and private practice, how to build an offer 
that would serve your client and allow you to generate an income and for your client to live their best life and you too as well. So if you're interested, I would love to work with you. All the links are in the show notes. I love you, sister. In our next episode, episode four of season three is with a guest. And we answer the question, when is it time to go full time? I'll see you then.